Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Welcome to a special episode of Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. It is a super special episode, not just special, Devin. Super special. (laughs) And the reason why it's so special is that we hit a really, really exciting milestone. We actually just hit our 100th episode of Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. 100, Dev, can you believe it? We we done made it. No, I can and I can't because... uh, it's not like I was counting down the days to Christmas. You know, I wasn't at like 97, 98, but I was talking to somebody, I think it was Casted, uh, and I was like, we've been doing Reveal for about two years now. And then right afterwards, Jordan, who helps us run the show, was like, hey, we're prepping for the 100th episode. <laughs> and I was like, wow, time flies when you're having fun podcasting. It's so true. I think like it kind of got me just like thinking a little bit about our journey and, you know, how really when you like put your mind to something like what you can achieve, like, okay, yes, we know that in theory, we talk about that kind of stuff, like inspirational talk. But, you know, this was just like a little idea that the two of us had and we wanted to test it out. And we started it just the two of us, we were doing all the things. And now we have a team. Like, it's just amazing. And just the responses that we get from listeners on how much they love the show, the value they get, it really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's worth taking time to pause sometimes. Absolutely. It is. And it's uh, one of the few things I think we really dove into the deep end. Like, I remember not knowing anything except for how to listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, from from figuring out our strategy to, you know, topics, guests, you know, learning about metrics. And of course, always just, you know, the whole goal was just to help revenue leaders be more effective by learning from other leaders. And I didn't expect it. Maybe it was very obvious, but I have learned so much in the last two years from these interviews. Like I I always viewed it as like, this is for others and, you know, I'm going to be facilitating, but I've learned a ton and we've talked to so many cool people from Chris Voss to Ariana Huffington, go to market leaders at what Amazon, LinkedIn, IBM, SAP. I'm now reading from a list, Slack, HubSpot, (laughs) Netflix, like the people we've got to talk to is like masterclass buffet, you know, buffet style and people I frankly would have paid to get coffee with. Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. We would really love to hear from you. Maybe you have like a favorite guest, a favorite episode, a favorite takeaway from reveal. Send us a note, just tag Devin and I on LinkedIn. Let us know what your favorite part of reveal has been since you started listening to the show. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And similarly, we thought we would recap our favorite parts of Reveal since the show started. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to recap some of the key highlights that we've taken away from some of our guests. 
Yes, and this is, uh, it's both, you know, we have our favorite takeaways and we also looked at the numbers, looked at what people have been reaching out and we have our fan favorite takeaways. So no guest this week, but instead you get 10 guests because we're doing the 10 favorite takeaways from the entire podcast in the last two years. And so, uh, you know, you get 10 for the price of one, uh, which is free. So you get 10 for the price of free. How about that? I'm glad we use the data because I think if the two of us just had to pick our favorite top 10, it would be ridiculously hard. So data yes. comes in handy. So we're going to do this countdown style. We're going to start at 10 and go down to number one. So here we go. Inspirational leader number one. Devin, take it away. All right. Uh, someone who I got to meet by having this interview, which came from our event, the Revenue Intelligence Summit back in 2019. Someone who I like, someone who I actually talked to on LinkedIn and you know, I've kind of kept in touch with, which is really cool, even though I haven't uh, met him in person since that event. But we have Ed Kalnan, CRO at Seismic. When I started my career a long time ago, it was more you'd hear like the characteristics for a seller are who's the most gregarious, who's the most outgoing, who's the type A personality, who's fearless and tough. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's all changed because, you know, 20 years later, it's more about who's analytical, who can diagnose the customer situation, who can use the right content, mm -hmm. who can th use the right data to drive the right conversations. So it's, you know, you still have to be tough, you still have to work hard, you still have to be competitive. You also have to be smart and you yeah. gotta think through every single interaction. You know, selling today, the buyers have become more complex. You know, they know, if you read the analyst reports, they know 70% of the buyer's journey is done before the sales mm -hmm. rep shows up, mm -hmm. right? So they know who you are, they know what customers like you, what customers hate you, what your price points are. And if you don't use that to your advantage, you're gonna lose a lot more than you win. Oh my gosh, hearing that clip, it just reminds me of being in this glass room that we had built at Celebrate, which was in person at that time. I remember that. Sitting down and interviewing him. This was like early days. This was like I had just joined Gong at that time. I do remember that. I remember, so I hosted, so I remember it was like, Sheena, you got this. I know we have not done a single interview yet, but you're just going to take them off stage and go do a little interview. And then later I saw this, yeah, this glass, like plexiglass thing that we created that as you heard from the clip worked not the best thing probably we've ever done um but it was cool to you know like i said hear ed on stage but you know the thing that was really cool from his takeaway was hearing you know his his perspective on winning the deal before the sales cycle even begins right and kind of mm -hmm. like that, that digital presence that that people have or, or that companies can create uh to help win more business yeah, and just the way that he talked about what kind of skills represent a salesperson today um, really resonated with me. I've, I've been asked a couple of times like how I would describe sales in one word, and I know at least on one of those occasions I've said um, strategic, and mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like sums up a little bit about what how Ed was describing it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Sheena, take us to number nine. Number nine. Okay, this sales leader, she joined us to specifically talk about diversity and how diversity is critical to building a high-performing sales workforce. She has built an exceptional digital sales team over at IBM. To introduce her, Rocky Voria, Director of Global Digital Sales Development at IBM. We were under pressure to hire quickly, and in those instances, we wanted to get the best and the brightest. And oftentimes, in order to have a really high-performing sales team, 
you need diversity. And it's not just culturally, but you need diversity of thought, age, background, perspective, gender. And unfortunately, um, not all of those populations come to you. You have to take the extra step and go the extra mile to be able to attract them. And so, you know, when we were hiring some of those people, unfortunately, uh, we weren't getting a lot of women applicants, for example. And so you have to really think about how do you recruit from non-traditional sources, make sure that you are demonstrating that sales and technology is a place where women can succeed and grow and that it's a worthwhile profession and all of that. Gina, what makes me very happy hearing this clip is that it was almost a year ago, but the topic hasn't died down. If anything, it's picked mm -hmm. up, theme, right? Like hiring a diverse sales team, diversity in tech, diversity in B2B has continued to gain momentum and mindshare. Uh, and I loved hearing you know, her personal story from the full episode, her personal experience, like, you know, building diverse teams. And I just love that we were able to meet with her and hear how she personally is evolving sales to become an even more inclusive uh, profession. So true. And I think the another thing to take away is that you can't just sit there and wait for diverse candidates to come to you. That's not going to happen. It really right. starts from your corporation, your corporate level strategy. What decisions are you taking to attract this diverse group? So, you know, one small example that I could even think of that we did at Gong was we were initially supposed to open our second U.S. hub in Salt Lake City, which for many reasons is a great place to have a second hub. But in 2020, we decided that, you know, for business reasons, as well as to support our diversity and inclusion efforts, we decided to open our second hub in Atlanta. And it's been proven yeah. to be, you know, great for attracting new talent that maybe otherwise wouldn't have come to Gong. And I am very excited to finally make it out to ATL. I have not been there, and there's a bunch of gongsters that I need to meet and hang out with. So Let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we can take a reveal on the road, do a little road show, hopefully next year. That'd be great. I'm in. Next, number eight, we have Dana Feldman, who at the time when she joined our show uh, was the head of enterprise and mid-market sales at Amazon Business and... I don't know if it's causation, correlation, or happenstance, she is now an enterprise sales leader at Gong. We dove into one of my favorite topics, which is running effective one-on-ones. Let's hear from Dana. I actually think um, not a lot of thought goes into one-on-ones. And I, I think where it gets even more interesting as a leader is uh, I sort of have this point of view that, you know, when... When our reps, and, and even if we're co-selling with them, when we go out to have that big deal call, it's hours of prep, right? And, and mutual agreement on agenda. And we're role-playing and we're getting ready and we're doing research on the people involved. And we bring all this, uh, all this insight and this, and this information and, and just an incredible amount of preparedness for that meeting. And then when you think about it, the people that we lead are responsible for driving our revenue. And I think a great question for managers is, how much are you preparing for those meetings with your team that is responsible for driving that revenue? And why is there such a, an off balance in terms of how much we prepare for that client meeting, but how much we are preparing for the internal client meeting? I think listening to Dana, I was just thinking of, you know, how many hours we spend in one-on-ones per week, right? If I took my calendar, at least 25% of my time is spent on one-on-ones, but how much time I actually, am I spending preparing for those? Like there is definitely room to improve. Yeah, I, I 
definitely had some, uh, I don't know, self-awakening, some self-awareness uh, after that, that interview. Uh, which is the same thing, right? Which is always reminds me, I know it's like probably overused at this point, but you've probably heard, you know, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed too, you know, there, there's weeks where you just don't have the time you wish you did, right? To really put in the thought and, and care into prepping for a one-on-one. But what really motivated me to make sure uh, to do that, aside from obviously hearing from Dana, was like feeling how, how much, I wouldn't say worse, but like less effective they are when you don't get that chance to prepare, right? Even oh, if it's yeah. 10, 15 minutes, like when you really go into those one-on-ones knowing what you wanna cover, questions you wanna ask, topics you wanna make sure you hit on, you feel more fulfilled. And I have to imagine the person on the other side of the table or today, the Zoom screen, uh, feels the same way. Yeah, it's just about bringing that intentionality to everything that we do at work, at home, yeah. personal lives too. Yeah, one thing Ryan Longfield, our CRO said, uh, it was a while back in one of like the kind of like leadership uh, meetings, but he essentially said something to the effect of like, you know, I expect myself to bring my best self to every one-on-one because my employees deserve that. Yes. And that was really, that was really powerful. So true. All right, let's take it into number seven. This sales leader was the former CRO of HubSpot, and he's currently the managing director at Stage 2 Capital. He's a good friend of Gong. We have a common HBS connection. Mm-hmm. Let's hand it off to Mark Roberge. It is a... Uh, title that's getting a little more standardized. It was yeah. it was described as a lot of different things. I think it primarily came out of the fact that you need to better align marketing, sales, and customer success through the customer journey. Mm-hmm. And that was the job of the CEO, unless you have a CRO who can align it. So I think mm-hmm. that's probably the purest definition. Yeah. Other drivers where you did see a lot of companies getting substantial revenue from non-human sources, like mm-hmm. freemium, et cetera. So that's not really sales, that's revenue. So that's that, those are other pieces mm-hmm. there. So if we, I would say the first part of overseeing the whole go-to-market. And um, when you move into that role, just department alignment becomes critical. Yeah. And you don't see much of that when you're, say, a VP of sales, when you're, CM, when you're CMO, when you're running customer success. It's very clear what your function is and like how to measure success. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the CRO, it's just much more of that leadership, strategic, you know, corporate governance perspective of like, how do you align very different roles? Yeah. And you know, the the best CROs start with the buyer journey, right? Like sometimes you can get into a like an internal view where it's like, okay, here's what an MQL sh- should be defined as, and then here we're gonna call them six times, and we're gonna close the customer and write something up in the CRM, and then. We'll do a meeting to talk about the onboarding process. Like, hey, what's it feel like to be a customer mm-hmm. going through that? Mm-hmm. And that's when like the great CROs shine is they're like, okay, let's start with the customer comes to the website. What do they see? What catches their eye? If they download this, what would they want to have happen? Right. And then if they do have a meeting with us, what would they want to talk about? And if they sign a contract, what do they want to do next? Yeah. You know what I mean? So. So that would be my advice is, is you know, to, to think it from that lens. Right. Makes sense. Uh, what are some of the big shifts that you're seeing as you've grown and developed in your sales career mm. and the market is different, the environment mm. is different? Uh, would love to hear a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. I mean, you said it yourself when we were talking earlier about like the demands on customer experience and the empowered, the empowered buyer. And that's definitely the pattern I'm seeing across the board, but especially in the, the earlier stage growth environments is... I, in general, I think we as an entrepreneurial community over-index on top-line revenue growth. Mm-hmm. 
and under focus on customer success, value creation and retention. And that's like the pattern as I've like, you know, I I dive in with like a company pretty deep, like every month. And I've done it like 20 of them over the years. And that's the one pattern that I see that either they rocket ship or they don't is like how consistent and quickly they're creating customer value. And here in, in San Francisco, I think they're branded as the aha moment. It's like, what, what can you observe in the first two months of a customer's life cycle that if that occurs, they will be a longtime customer. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, they will probably churn. So maybe it's just me, but I can honestly never get too much of Mark Roberge. He's so good. Uh, he, we had him, uh, you know, we talked about Ed being at the lightning strike event and that launched reveal. Mark was also, we had three episodes. Mark was one of the other ones. Um, but the clip we just heard from was actually a webinar that we played as, uh, as an episode. I think it was last year. Uh, where I got to host a webinar with Mark and uh, Anna Baird, the CRO over at Outreach. Um, it was a little bit after the pandemic, and I thought, hey, who are the smartest sales leaders I can you know, meet with and talk about deal momentum, right? And understand how we can help sellers and sales teams keep deals moving forward despite all the uncertainty that was uh, 2020. Yeah, and I think just hearing him um, talk about shifting from focusing on demographic to firmographic indicators just made me think that you can't just go with the status quo. What may have worked yesterday is not necessarily going to work today. Or what worked at your last company, you can't just bring that over and implement that at your current firm. You need to look at how the market is changing, how sales processes are changing, how decision-making is changing. And that's all happening right now, especially with COVID. And folks, everything is just flatter now. Um, so yeah. I think reevaluating some of your key processes and how things are done, that should be a continuous process. It's ever changing. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that topic and that concept is has fueled a lot of the Gong Labs research in the last year too, looking at, you know, how does multi-threading, you know, building relationships with multiple people uh, at multiple levels at a company you're selling to, how does that impact win rates? Uh, one we did recently was how does it impact your deal size? Mm-hmm. Right, we've seen positives. Up, charts go up into the right. Spoiler alert: uh, when you multi-thread, <laughs> so all, all good things. Um, my second favorite. If we're doing runner-ups, it's got to be number six, Kevin Dorsey. He's the VP of Inside Sales at Patient Pop. He's uh, a celebrity, if there are such things, on LinkedIn. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to him about deal signals. So let's go hear from Kevin. So if I if I look back really through my career, I think something that has helped me a lot is pattern recognition, right? Being able to look at things and pick on like, what are the patterns? What's the pattern? What does this rep do more consistently than this rep? What types of deals seem to close faster? Which ones have a higher ACV or contract value, right? And so I'd always spend time looking for those things. And it really hasn't been until say the last maybe four five years that tools started to be able to help with right like you used to have to go in and listen to every call or you just have to inspect every single deal and you can't do that and so with the revenue revenue intelligence as as a category what it's really helping me do is pick up on patterns faster so then i can then coach my team on the right things or to target the right types of deals or to work in a certain, like, even like strike zone, like what's my strike zone. So like, once you know the pattern, right. So it starts with awareness, then there's the pattern recognition, then there's the process and then there's the practice, right. Putting it into practice. So that's how revenue intelligence helps me scale is because once I pick up on it, 
everything else goes to the side and we're going to double down on the things that are working. Devin and I were just looking at our notes for what we were going to say for Kevin. And we had the exact same one-liner that Kevin is the most data-driven guest that we've had on the show, which is super fitting. I think that's why we both loved having him on the show. Yeah. And we didn't really know it going into it either. Like I I mentioned in the initial interview, like I had known Katie via LinkedIn, you know, we've chatted and, you know, kind of been in the same spheres, but never talked to directly. So, you know, when we brought him on, we didn't know that that would be the case, but it was really cool to hear him talk about like, you know, kind of like before and after, you know, adopting revenue intelligence before was like, you know, using his you know human ear and hearing his managers talk about patterns. And then he just said he gravitated so quickly to revenue intelligence because it let him do that at scale so much easier and kind of let him, you know, confirm and pressure test some of those patterns that he had picked up on on his own. Right. And the other thing to think about is don't buy a solution or a tool to buy the tool to increase your stack, figure out what you're trying to drive for him. He was thinking about productivity and how to make his team more efficient and how to drive more accuracy, you know, across like the requirements that they have for their deals. And that's where revenue intelligence fit in for them. So same thing for you. If you're thinking about bringing in a solution, what's your pain? What are you trying to solve for? And then, and then work backwards from there. Guest number five is actually not a revenue leader, but still one of the best guests that we ever had on the show. Um, I will always remember this episode because... Devin is a huge fanboy of this guest. Um, And I could see through the Zoom screen how nervous he was that day, which never, never happens. Uh, So number five is Chris Voss. He's a best-selling author of Never Split the Difference and a true negotiations expert. So let's tune in to what Chris had to say. Well, it's a word that's used all the time in, in common society. It's, it, you know, it's come to mean sympathy, be a synonym for sympathy. And it's not, a, it's not, it's not, it's not. It was never meant to be that way. And you restrict yourself if you restrict it to that definition. Empathy is just demonstrating understanding. And and you know you've done it when the other side feels understood. I tease that KD was my runner-up because, as you said, Sheena, Chris Voss was by far my number one choice, my favorite interview. Uh, and you're right. I was nervous and I even like prepared to be nervous, if that makes sense. Like going like an hour before the interview, I was like doing laps in my apartment. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to Chris Voss. It's not a big deal. Like it's totally fine. And then my heart rate would increase. Um, but I love talking to him. He was very cool. He's a very cool guy. Uh, and I know it's kind of funny to like call people cool, but he was also very cool and collected, which I suppose makes sense because if you compare you know, negotiating against, uh, you know, uh, or for hostages compared to our podcast, I'd say ours is like a little bit easier. Uh, <laughs> he, definitely, he definitely brought it. And before you share it, because I know it's on your notes, I want the listeners to ask yourself, think of Chris Voss. He's a New Yorker, best-selling author, FBI hostage negotiator. What do you think his ringtone is for his cell phone? It's a, it's a famous song. I'll give you a hint. Think about it. Gina, we were in the middle of an interview. We're recording and his phone yeah. goes off. You remember, you remember what his ringtone was? Oh, yeah. Was? It was bad to the bone. <laughs> we're in the middle of an interview and all of a sudden you hear that. And me and Gina like look at each other in the Zoom. And we're like, is that what we think it is? And we start laughing because is there a better ringtone for that guy? So good. So good. I'll never forget that day. Number four, a friend, a mentor, a previous CRO of mine, Matt Rosenberg. He is now the CRO of Compass. 
Let's go here and talk about multi-level selling. Who is my customer? How do I focus the resources I have to drive the most return for the least cost? And then the next question was, how do you speak to them? Because each of those segments wants to be spoken to a little bit differently. The buyer personas are different. So there's a lot of persona definitional work that, that I think has to happen. Um, underneath all of that was the next exercise. Well, I shouldn't say next. It was simultaneous, which was building out a sales methodology and process that mapped to the segments you were going after. And that had to be not only in building out the actual methodology and process, but mirroring that in Salesforce, building out the tech stack in a way that you could see the data and not only scaling, you know, the, the sellers, but building a sales operations team that could interpret the data because you're constantly iterating, right? You're trying to figure out what's working, what's not. You're looking at the data and trying to understand where are those, you know, those signals and where they're not. And then where those signals lean into the signal, expand slightly from that and continue to, to gain, gain market share. So I've uh, prefaced. Big fan of Matt, really enjoyed it. He actually recruited me to go work at Eventbrite. Uh, so he was a big reason I you know, jumped over to the event space, never had much <laughs> much intention to do so. Mm -hmm. But he is, is just by far one of the most strategic leaders I've ever had the opportunity to work for. And it's always just, you know, anytime I can get a chance to talk to him on the phone or you know interview anything, I've always learned something. And it's, it's never tactical. And that's not a bad thing, right? It's just he's so strategic and he's always so intentional with what he does that I really love hearing him share uh, at the time before Compass had went uh, you know, public because he led them to an IPO and just hearing how he like very clearly articulates his strategy, how he you know, prioritizes his ICP, how he thinks about what resonates with them. And he just uses like almost like a very steady marching approach, if mm -hmm. that makes sense, uh, to growing the business. And he's, I mean, he led Eventbrite to an IPO, did a Compass. Uh, I joke and I tell him, wherever you go next, I'm following you because, you know, three's a charm and I'll, I'm happy to be on that train with you. And I, I could get I could get get that sense from him from our conversation, too. Even as he was talking about um, rolling out sales ops and rev ops, it wasn't just to do it or, you know, to get some data. It was really a reflection of their strategy of, of unifying, yeah. um, you know, all the, the process and the interaction, the data across all of the go-to-market teams. Um, so I thought that was, uh, it was unique to he hear some of his perspectives on that front too. Absolutely. All right, we're in the top three. So number three, this is a sales leader who actually formerly worked with at MongoDB. She is a CRO, one of few females who are in this role. So I am just so inspired by her in this position. And she's currently CRO of HackerOne. Let's tune in to Marjorie Janowitz, CRO of HackerOne. What was very important to me is to make sure we were hiring uh, people that were here not only to make money because it sells, but people that were here to really build a company. So mm -hmm. company builders. So people that would have the endurance uh, to see the ups and downs of an early stage uh, startup. So making sure that we had folks that were hungry, driven, but most importantly, people that were very much... Uh, uh, mission-driven, that believed mm. into uh, what we're going to, to be doing for the world. Our mission is to make the internet safer. I guess this has really helped us differentiate ourselves against our competition in the market, having reps that are really there to problem-solve with our customers, creating a new industry, because hacker-powered security mm -hmm. didn't really exist uh, before HackerOne started, uh, started the business. Marjorie was one of the early interviews we did probably back in 2019 or early 2020. Cause I remember it was in office and we got to mm -hmm. hang out with her, which was fun. But I, one of my favorite things that she had mentioned was, you know, 
hiring for specific types of sales reps and knowing at what time in your company maturity that you need certain types, right? And so she was like, hey, I'm not just looking for coin operated sellers, uh, which is a stereotype. Mm -hmm. You really mapped out like depending on where you are in your, you know, sales maturity as like a sales process, but also as a company, like there's certain types of sellers that you need and coin operated folks that you can just plug and play into a proven system. Uh, isn't where she, what she needed when she was scaling out that team. So it was really interesting to hear that and also just kind of debunk the whole, you know, salespeople just want a bunch of money and then they're happy. Like that's not how, frankly, anybody actually is motivated. There's a lot of, a lot of data on that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, the other thing that she talks about is using your mission as your differentiator to hire mm -hmm. revenue professionals. It's yeah. the same thing that we heard from Kelly Breslin Wright on when she joined our show. Yeah. Um, it's you know really using that to unify your team and hire the best of the best. If they're passionate and they can believe in your mission, they're gonna they're gonna stand out. All right, top two. We should send them an email to let them know because I think Jonathan Frick, partner at Bain, will be happy to know that he got selected as the number two uh, takeaway here, which is honestly. You look at when I read what the takeaway is, it's going to be obvious because we still talk about this. We hear it all the time, which yeah. is how to move B players to be A players. or And in this case, as Jonathan broke down, what prevents B players from becoming A players? Top performers and average performers, call them A and B players, is actually behaviors that you could teach people on and coach people to get better at. Some of it is, you know, innate talent differences. Is someone really right for this sales role or should they be in a different sales role? Some of it's structural. Somebody's got a bigger patch and somebody's got a smaller territory. But uh, but a lot of it actually, when you look at it, is really stuff that you can teach people to do, which is quite interesting because obviously if you could turn, you know, a significant portion of your average people into something that looks a little bit more like your top people, that would be pretty cool for mm -hmm. most Salesforce to be able to do. The other insight, which we can come back to more later, is just that it's actually really hard, though, to do that consistently, as easy as it sounds. And so there's a bit of a science around how you do behavior change. Mm -hmm. Gina, you know pretty much everybody we've talked to on the Reveal podcast because one of them is used to work at Bain. So <laughs> I know you were pumped. We, we had Jonathan Frick, and then a couple of weeks ago, we had David Deming. So we we're, we're Bain up. Bainies on. Um, but I think what's, uh, what is so unique, like his role is all about advocating for coaching. And I think that's like so amazing. And, you know, he's going in and talking to leaders at some of the biggest companies in the world to influence them to implement coaching at scale and in, in an effective right. way so that you can measure it. Absolutely. Bain's been a great partner, clearly a topic that's still, you know, top of mind for sales leaders and uh, something, you know, speaking of Dana Feldman again, shout out. She's the one, you know, we've been hearing a lot internally right now about this uh, kind of narrative around moving the middle, right? Like the biggest impact you can make when you're coaching your team isn't C players to A players or B players. It's not making your A players 5% better. It's getting your B players to become A players. So if you can figure that out and you can coach at scale, you're going to be in great shape for 2022. Sheena, without looking at your notes, if you haven't already, do you know what the number one takeaway is? I can guess, you know, without looking at the notes before having prepped for this session, it would have been my number one interview, my personal selection. Um, and so our number one is an amazing, amazing leader. Um, he is currently the chief business officer at LinkedIn, 
we were so thrilled to have Dan Shapiro on the show. Um, and this was when we were in person. So we were in our reveal studio in our office in San Francisco. We had our neon light behind us. <laughs> and, and we got to have a one-on-one conversation with him. And it was, it was really, really um, enjoyable and inspirational at that. So let's hear from Dan. I remember talking to this person and just how much they loved closing the deal and how little yeah. they cared about what happened afterwards. <laughs> and that just doesn't play anymore. I mean, we're no. in a subscription business where every year a customer decides whether or not they value the relationship, whether or not they want to go bigger with their vendor or their partner. And it's based on a better understanding of where value is getting created. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're in a moment where we need to rethink what sales is from a deal closing organization to a customer value organization because customer value is the best predictor of long-term success of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like we see it time and time again, the customers that get value from our products, whether they're hiring people, closing deals, building leads, learning for their organizations, those are the customers that grow over time. Mm -hmm. And but if you ask the average salesperson, like, what's your job? Or, like, deep down, what do you think your job is? It's, like, signing paper. Close deals. And, mm -hmm. and it's the, that's the start. Right. Um, and I think, actually, I think this trend is incredibly healthy because it aligns the buyer with the seller. Right. right. At the end of the day, we care about the same thing in that world. Mm -hmm. I care about delivering value for you because I know that if I deliver value for you, that that's going to translate into a healthy business, a bigger business and a bigger relationship over time. I mean, that's a partnership. That's the, actually yeah. the definition of a partnership is real, real alignment. I remember, I think I'm going to say what I said then in, in, in response to uh, Dan on the show, which was, I loved hearing from, a, you know, I think he, I don't, he, he got promoted to uh, chief business officer a little bit after the interview, but he was like, he was head of sales is hearing like, Hey, the, the long-term vision of this client, you know, seller partnership, it starts when the deal is signed, right? It's not about bookings. It's, you know, that's very important, obviously, but it's not the, you know, it's the beginning of the relationship, not the end. Not the end. And really just hearing him dive into why it's so important and how he really centers everything around, you know, listening and being empathetic and really understanding the customer and hearing how that trickles down to his, you know, senior leaders, his managers, and even his reps to make sure that they're delivering value, you know, on all fronts across all their business lines was, was really refreshing to use, uh, to use that term. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that like, that was a, a theme that we heard a lot in our conversations with sales and revenue leaders over the last year and a half that, mm -hmm. you know, the focus on the customer, like it's not just about winning yeah. deals, but like making sure that customers are happy throughout their life cycle with you. What are the processes? What are the, um, incentives um, what can you put in place in order to make sure that everyone is hyper-focused on that? At Gong, we call it creating raving fans. And, you know, every single person at the company is focused on that. Exactly. And one more quote that, you know, if we had another takeaway for, for Dan was this thing he said, you can never replace the texture of a conversation, which was his way of saying, like, there's nothing better than hearing the customer voice directly. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember he said, you know, back when he was traveling, I'm sure he found a way to do it now. But like every day, I think he said he found a conversation, made sure he listened to it because there's so much information you can get from your customer when you hear it directly. I love that. Well, that was a quick top 10 because that is a wrap right there. So as Sheena said, if we missed any of your favorite takeaways, uh, give us a shout. You can tag us on LinkedIn or give us a shout at reveal at gong.io. And of course, if any of these highlights, you know, piqued your interest and you want some more, you can go listen to the full episode wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It could be, you know, Spotify, Apple, 
I heard Amazon's got one, Google's got one. Wherever, <laughs> wherever it is that you're hearing our voice today, you can go get the rest of the episodes. That was such a fun, you know, walk down memory lane and just like thinking about all the times that we had with each other and with these leaders in the office on Zoom. Um, yeah. You know, I really am looking forward to the next 100 and having this episode in, I guess it'll be in roughly two more years from now, unless we start packing them in, Dev, yeah, <laughs> two a week. One, one a day, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so much fun. Want to thank everyone for listening. If you made it this far, you care about go-to-market strategy just as much as we do. So thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you learned something today. And uh, here's to the next 100 episodes. Thank you.